It's been a long time since we've had a Pastor Mark injury story, and I thought, <laughs> why not? And since my wife already outed me on Facebook, I'll just go ahead and give you the story. I was doing some chores. I reached down into a toolbox. I drew my hand over an upturned razor knife. And like the Jordan River, it was deep and wide. Thank you very much. So, uh, as any good man would do, I, I wrapped it up with duct tape and worked for five hours in the yard. <laughs> Hoping, of course, that it would magically repair itself. And then when I peeked under the bandage after five hours and found that it hadn't, next step, super glue, of course. So I super glued it. And, uh, and that didn't work out. And finally, I submitted to my wife who said, you are going to the hospital. So I did. And they spent more time taking the super glue out than they did suturing the thing. So six stitches later, uh, here I am. And I'm pleased to say that I was such a good boy that they gave me um, Sour Patch Kids. There we go. I'm really glad I do have this metal thing because I didn't have it this morning. Tapped it against the tile in the shower. And actually, that really got me awake. <laughs> So, we are taking a look uh, this morning specifically at what it means to be a conspicuous disciple. Say conspicuous. Say it like I said it. Conspicuous, yes. Conspicuous disciple. Uh, what, we're, what we're saying is this. A Christian is not intended to live incognito, in hiding. The fact of it is, though, that many of us live our Christian lives in hiding, incognito. And this is an opportunity for each one of us to ask an honest question of ourselves. Does anyone around me, my family, my friends, my co-workers, fellow students, anyone have a clue that I'm a follower of Christ? Or are you living the perfect incognito Christian life? Well, Jesus has something to say about that in the Sermon on the Mount, which is where we are making our way through this morning. So let's continue. And I want to remind us of the context. Jesus bursts on the scene after being in his daddy's carpenter shop for a long time. He he comes on the scene in Galilee, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And he begins to demonstrate exactly what he has said by his preaching, by his teaching, by his healing, by casting out of evil spirits. And the more he travels around and the more he does these things, the bigger the crowds grow until finally one day he sits them all down on a hillside to the west of the Sea of Galilee. And he surrounds himself with his disciples. But all of those thousands of people who are gathered around him, they're leaning in to listen to what he has to say too. And it was a pretty motley crew that was gathered there that day. Matthew describes it this way. They were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed. It was a pathetic bunch that were gathered around there, but they wanted a touch of that power, didn't they? They wanted the kingdom to break through in their lives, and so there they were, that motley crew, leaning in to listen to what the first words of Jesus' inaugural sermon would be. Do you remember what the very first word was to those people? What's the first word he spoke? Blessed. Say it. Blessed. Blessed are you, the poor in spirit. Blessed are the mourners. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who are persecuted for my sake. 
In other words, Jesus was looking out over the crowd and describing what he was seeing. Blessed are you who are tapped out, who don't have a thing in your spiritual tank. Blessed are you who are brokenhearted for whatever reason. Blessed are you who move out of the way so that people won't bully you. Blessed are you who are trying to hold your family together. Blessed are you if you are getting persecuted because you love me and are trying to live your life right. Blessed are you. I know that the world, your, your religion says that, that you're losers. I know that, uh, I know that the world says you're losers and abandoned by God. I tell you, God has not abandoned you. God's hand is upon you. You are blessed right now, right here. And that's my opening words to you as Jesus began his ministry with them. This was revolutionary stuff because this wasn't what the world believed, especially the Jewish world believed what they believed. They believed that if you were healthy and wealthy and powerful, that was the indication of God's blessing. If you were healthy, wealthy, and powerful, that proved that God was on your side. If you were not, it meant that he had, meant that he had cast you aside, or maybe even that it was payback because you had done something wrong. Jesus says, that's baloney. He said, God loves you right where you are. He puts his hand of blessing right where you are, right in your state. God loves you. And that was revolutionary. That was revolutionary. But Jesus was only getting started. Turn with me to some of the most familiar and perhaps most ignored words in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. Pull out your Bibles, wave them around so I can see that you have them and praise you. Praise you. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. Tell you what, let's read this together, shall we? Let's read it together. One, two, three, go. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds, and praise your Father in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Now, Jesus, would you take these words that we have just read and make them true? Help us to believe what you have said about us, what you have claimed is already so about us, that we might be light and we might be world, that we might be salt and light in a world that desperately needs it. For we ask it in your name, Jesus. Amen. How many love salt? I love salt. My doctor's probably here and he'll be mad at me for saying so, but it's not like he doesn't know. I love salt. I love salt on eggs. I I put salt on lemons that are raw and I eat them that way. I salt my cantaloupe and my watermelon. Does anyone salt their cantaloupe? That's the only way to eat it. Am I right? I love salt. But it's not like I need to add any to my diet. It's not like the the rest of us don't have a bunch of salt and everything we eat has salt in it. We take it for granted. At the time of Jesus, however, salt was a precious commodity, a vital and essential commodity, and no one took it for granted. Part of the value of salt, of course, was that it did what it does for us. It made bland food and sometimes slightly spoiled food taste better. But that wasn't the main reason that salt was so important to the people of Jesus' time. This was the time before refrigeration. 
And this was a place that was pretty hot. You needed salt. Salt was an essential as a preservative. And if you didn't salt your meat pretty quickly after you butchered it, it was going to be a nursery for a beautiful litter of bouncing baby maggots pretty quickly. That's how important it was. I saw you shaking out there. Yes, but it's the case. Salt was a necessity to prevent things from going putrid. Jesus has already remarkably, revolutionarily blessed these people. He's pronounced blessing upon a crowd of people that the world would say was God forgotten. He's already said that to them. But now he goes on to say to the same unlikely crowd, if you receive this blessing that I just gave you, if you believe this blessing that I gave you, that God's hand is upon you, that my spirit is in you, if you will follow me and do as I tell you to do, here's what I'm telling you. You are the salt of the earth. Right now, you are the salt of the earth. By your presence, life will taste better. And more importantly, you will be a preservative. Your presence, your influence will keep the world from getting more, more putrid. You will hold rot at bay. That is what you will do. I was with a good friend the other day and we were talking as we often do. He mentioned something about his reputation in town. I share this story with his permission, by the way. I asked him what his reputation was. And he said he was known for being a tough negotiator who did well for his clients, but at the expense of his opposition. And so I said, so you wouldn't exactly describe your, your business style as win-win. He said, nope, I'd describe it as win-incinerate. I win, and I leave them in an ash pile. I said, so, I know this is a cliche, but just let me ask this. If Jesus was standing there while you were doing that deal, watching how you negotiate, how would he feel about that? He paused for a moment. He said, he wouldn't like it. I really appreciated the honesty of that answer, and we've continued still to have a conversation of what it means to do your job well and represent your clients well, while at the same time not contributing to the continued cultural rot that we see happening all around us. Right here, not even just the world, not just the world, but beautiful Gig Harbor is rotten. I heard again this week something I'd heard before, but I was reminded again. There's a group in a particular community within our town that has a very vibrant swinging community. Do you know what swinging is? It's spouses that are trading spouses with one another for sexual uh, favors. Just to spice up their sex life. They trade spouses. If that's not rotten, I'm not sure what is rotten. That's, that's the the world that we are a part of. That's the culture. It is the inclination of our culture to rot. Things deteriorate. And if you, if you don't think so, for those of you who've lived long enough, think back 50 years. Think back 25 years and ask yourself this question. Are any of the institutions of our culture, our businesses, our homes, our schools, are they better today than they were 50 years ago? 25 years ago? And the answer would be no, because culture tends to rot. It is on that path. Why? Because of a contagion that we call sin. 
to use an image that's very much in the news today, sin is the Ebola of the spiritual world. I heard from a doctor friend this week who told me that he had just been appointed the medical officer for the Ebola incident command in our area. He said, how do I get so lucky? I said, I don't know, but you know what? You have the same job. Every one of you has the same job, Jesus says. Sin, if it is left to itself, degrades and deteriorates and hemorrhages whatever it touches. The, the great news of Scripture is that one day God is going to make all things right. One day He's going to recreate this world. He's going to return it to its uncorrupted state. Did you know that's what it says? He's not going to just throw this world away. One day He's going to restore it to what He intended for it to be at the beginning. In the meantime, do you know what God's plan is for stemming the tide of rot in our world? Point to yourselves right now. Literally, point, point. And point to the person next to you right now. I don't see you pointing. I mean it. Point. You are his plan. You are his anti-putrid plan. You are his anti-rotting plan. It is you. We are the salt of the earth. The more we imitate Jesus, the saltier we are. The obvious question then that this presents to every one of us is this. Because of your presence in the world, because of your presence in your part of the world, is your world tastier, purer, cleaner, healthier, or not? Or are you contributing to the continued rotten decline of the culture of which we are part? Which is it? It's only one or the other. Are you making it better? Are you holding rot at bay? Or are you contributing to the rot? Are you tasteless? Salt. Jesus had something to say about tasteless salt, didn't he? In fact, he had more to say about that than the good stuff. What does he say about tasteless salt? Here it is. It is no longer good for anything. Say that. Anything. No longer good for anything, Jesus says. Just to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Over the last few weeks, we we looked at the end of the Sermon on the Mount because I wanted to remind us how much was at stake. And if you'll recall, Jesus offers some very stark warnings to pretend disciples. Pretend disciples, those who claim to be followers of Christ, but who do not in fact follow him. And there are some of those here today. Here's what he says about pretend disciples in the last part of chapter 7 at the end of this sermon. He says that a a tree that does not bear good fruit, what's going to happen to it? It's going to be chopped down and thrown into the fire. He said that not everyone who claims Lord, Lord, not even everyone who does spectacular religious stuff is going to go to heaven, but only those who do the will of his Father, which, by the way, is to know his Son, he said. You ne- I never knew you. He says that anyone who knows his, what he's taught and does not put them into practice is like the foolish man, the idiot who builds his house on sand with disastrous consequences. Jesus doesn't have any trouble telling us uh, what is at stake here if we're not going to follow him. That's how he ends his sermon. Turns out he doesn't exactly sugarcoat the start of his sermon either, does he? After leading with the grace of the Beatitudes, which is a wonderful way to start, Jesus launches right in. He said, now, if you are blessed, and I just told you you are, if you are blessed, you are now the light of the world. You are now the salt of the earth. Your presence should add flavor to those around you. Your presence should help prevent the world from rotting. 
That is what I expect of my disciples, Jesus said. And if you are unsalty, you are good for nothing. Not my words, Jesus' words. Let them stew a little bit. And then he continues, and you're the light of the world. You're the light of the world. When we were in Paris this summer, we planned on not being impressed by the Eiffel Tower. It's such a touristy cliche. You know what? We couldn't help it. It was awesome. In fact, this, at night when the lights went out, this was the best part. Watch this. When the sun went down, this is what happened. Oh, I almost bought a t-shirt. That's how excited I was. It was gorgeous. And when we were walking around at night, we could still look over there and we saw that brilliantly lit tower. It just shone in the distance. Everywhere you were, you saw it. Jesus says, that's you. You are that. You are that light on a stand. You are the light of the world. You're going to shine too brilliantly to be missed. The light of the witness of a disciple should bring clarity when there is confusion. It should be truth, bring truth when there is falsehood. It should bring encouragement when there is peril. That's why the way that we speak into these times. If it's not going to come from us, who's going to give it? A disciple of Jesus is meant to be a beacon to whom people can look when they are confused, bewildered, dazed, frightened, puzzled, wavering. And if you have the light of Christ shining in you, Jesus says, why in the world would you cover it up? Why in the world would you light a light and then cover it with a basket? He said, lift the lid. Take the lid off. Let it shine, baby. Right after the bombing of Pearl Harbor, all of Washington, D.C., in fact, all of the coasts were under blackout orders so that they wouldn't be able to bomb more as easily. But, Fed, uh, but uh, Franklin Roosevelt said, regarding the White House, he ordered that the lighthouse be lit up full bright and that the Christmas ornaments be turned on. He said, that is going to be a place, a beacon of hope for our people. And for the rest of the world, that is what you are. You are a beacon of hope for your friends and for the rest of the world when the light of Christ shines out of you. Notice this. The ultimate reason that we do these things are not to be noticed, not to have people point at us and say, gosh, what a good Christian he is. What a good Christian she is. The ultimate reason that we do these good deeds is what? Did you see it? I was sure we read it together. What's the reason that we do good deeds? So that we can... Give glory to our Father in heaven. Exactly. Did you see that? We do these good deeds. We shine light so that it gives glory to God who is in heaven. Sounds awful like a memory, awfully lot like a memory verse that we've been memorizing lately. Colossians 3.17. Isn't that exactly what Paul is saying? Whatever you do, whether in... Do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever we do, when we shine a light, it gives glory to God. It points to God. Here's an essential thing for us to get, though. If we turn this into another thing we had to add to our to-do list, our spiritual to-do list, if this is another do-goodism, dang it, now i got to become salty, now i got to become light, we miss the whole point. Jesus didn't say, I want you to go get salty. Jesus didn't say, I want you to go get light. What did he say? You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Right now, if you are in me, if you belong to me, you are already those things. You don't have to try to do this. You don't have to work at it. You just need to live into what Christ has saved you to be. Stay salty. 
Some of our ninth grade boys, I'm so proud of these guys. Some of our ninth grade boys have been studying this text this last week with one of our wonderful uh, youth mentors. And they sent an email to me about what they figured out about how it is you stay salty. Obviously, some of them are taking chemistry class because here's what they said. The only time salt gets unsalty is when it gets diluted by mixing with other stuff. When it is attracted by other molecules. Don't let the things of this world, job, relationships, online temptations, dilute our flavor that we have in Christ. Don't let these things, although they are attractive, pull apart our molecular bond with our Lord and Savior, end quote. Isn't that awesome? Ninth grade, baby. Jesus says, you are already salty. Stay salty. You are already light. Lift the lid off. Let your light shine. You know, it can be in the smallest thing when you begin to do this. My business friend that I mentioned earlier, the one that's struggling with how to be good at his job and and yet contribute to the health of his culture. I challenged him to do something that I'd invite the rest of you to do. There are 89 chapters in the four Gospels. You read one chapter every morning. You write down in a journal, what did I learn about Jesus and what does he command me to do? I said, you need to know Jesus better. That'll help you to know what kind of decisions you make. So let's do this together. Suddenly I got a bunch of people that are doing with this with me every, every morning. So he began to do that. I saw him three days into that journey. I said, how are you doing? He said, I'm doing great. Can I tell you something I did last night? I said, sure. He said, I've never done it before. I said, tell me. He said, last night for the first time ever, I talked to my kids about the Bible. I read that story and we talked about it and it was great. I've created a monster. Every day he's talking about how the, that he's talking to his kids about the things that he's learning about Jesus. That is the way that we stay salty. That is the way we draw near to him. That's the way that we lift our lid and and let his light shine through us. The closer you get to Jesus, the saltier and lighter you're going to be. He's just going to bring out what's in there. The more you read his word, the more you pray to him, the more you imitate him. And you can't imitate him if you don't know what he is and who he is. That's why you got to read his word. The more that you treat these weekly reunions in our salt shaker. Did you know that's what this is? It's a big old salt shaker. We gather you together, get salty, and then we throw you out into the world to go make things taste good and preserve them. The more that you view this time together as an essential for your life instead of an option unless something better comes along, the more that you find groups like the people that raised their hand and said, I'm going to live in accountability with these brothers and sisters so that they hold me to my life as a salt and as light in this world, the more flavor you're going to bring to this world. Our presence, our words, our deeds should hold rot at bay. And our presence and our words and our deeds should shine light into the increasingly dark world. Brothers and sisters, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Jesus says, be who I saved you to be. So what does this look like? And we think it has to be all spiritual, religious stuff. No. How do we be salt in the world? How do we be light in the Simple things. Last week, our staff shut down the office for three hours, and we went to the World Vision Storehouse in Fife, and we made hundreds of school packets for poor kids. That's being salt. Friday, I was uh, 
at, at a restaurant and, and I struck up a conversation with the, with the waitress. Do you ever treat those people as if they're human beings? As if they're interested in, in talking and sharing something about who they are? Or is your target clerk just someone to get out of the way so you can get on with your whatever you're doing? I, got, I asked her name. Got talking with her. She talked about the fact that she works seven days a week. I said, oh, you, TJ, you can't do that. You've got to take a Sabbath. No human being can work seven days. She said, do you go to church? I said, yeah, I do. <laughs> Isn't that salt? A little light? Salt can be teasing with the ER nurse. Telling the doctor that's sticking needles in your finger what a good job she's doing. And I did. She did. I wonder how often she gets thanked for that. I'll bet not very often. <laughs> you know, it doesn't have to be that religious But it's amazing how a little kindness, a little salt, a little light leads us to spiritual conversations. Because people cannot believe that you're treating them like that. So treat them like that. Salt, light. So I bring us back into our original question. Are you a conspicuous disciple of Jesus? Not obnoxious right? No one likes obnoxious. Jesus doesn't even like obnoxious. But conspicuous, conspicuous, unashamed of who we are in Christ. Conspicuous, grateful for what Christ has done. Conspicuous, believing that he can do the same thing for our friends and our family. Conspicuous, someone who has a very sober and sane view of the state of our world without Jesus. A world left to its own devices is going to be bland, decaying, unsafe, uncertain, and dreary. The conspicuous disciple cares enough about that world to be salty and to be light. And they do it not to make a show of themselves, but to point to Christ, to point to God, to bring glory to Him. This whole Sermon on the Mount, you're going to hear it again and again. You're either going to be inspired by it or you're going to get tired of it and you're going away. But, but this is what it's going to be again and again. It is this question. What kind of a disciple are you? Are you a disciple, in fact, or not? What does that look like? Does anyone around me know that I am a disciple of Jesus? Does anyone know that he's my Lord, my boss, and that I am his apprentice? Would they be enormously surprised to discover that you claim the name of Christ? Or would they say, well, that makes sense. Or to put it a different way, if you were on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Yes or no? The way you act, the way you spend your money, the way you spend your time, would anyone have a clue? By God's grace, as we plow through the Sermon on the Mount, more and more of us are going to say, God, I want to be a conspicuous disciple for you. I want to be salt. I want to be light. We're going to come to the Lord's table today, and it's not... It's not about a ritual. It's not about a religious ceremony. This is a table of power and life. When we come to the Lord's table, He fills us, He sustains us, He encourages us, and He makes us saltier, and He makes us lighter. That's what, we believe that happens when we come to the Lord's table. So today, when you come up to receive it, we're going to say something a little different. When you receive the bread, we're going to say, you are the salt of the earth. And when, we, and when you dip it in the cup, we're going to say, you are the light of the world. Let's say it together. Ready? What are we going to say when you get the bread? 
And when you dip it in the cup, what are you going to hear? You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. What a difference we could make if we actually live that way. Let's come to the table of the Lord. Believe it or not, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. The power that conquered the grave lives in you. All you got to do is take the lid off and be salty. I want to remind you, right after this, if you're new to our church, please come and meet us over here in Hebrews. We'd love to say hi to you. And if you're not members, I'd just say again, what's holding you back? I'd love to talk to you about our mission and why what we do here matters for the kingdom and how you can be more fully a part of it. So make your way all the way down to the other end and have a bite on us, and and let's talk about those things together. Come and join us. Now, let's surrender one more time. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and all of God's salty light people said, Amen.